Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, what is going on, people? You know that sound. It is the Unfiltered Band. It means yes, another episode of Unfiltered coming your way in the here and now. Officially, this goes down as episode number 163. The NBA crazy deadline and my crazy predictions for the battles in this upcoming weekend. Always crazy at all the levels we love. The Unfiltered Band, thank you for being with us and jumping on board the Unfiltered Revolution, where, as always, get me on Twitter at Casey Stern, jump in the bio, get on the YouTube channel, like, subscribe, watch the videos, come up with ideas for lists, watch the interviews and the conversations and all the guests and all the shenanigans and more and all of that, as always, because we are proud to be presented by our good friends at Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for your sports betting needs this season. Everything you got from NFL playoffs to pro, college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Live betting options, free contests, live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. Bet Online truly is the fastest and easiest way. Bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head over to the website today or use your mobile device to join. And receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure that you use the promo code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V. Receive your rewards. It's betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag, where the game gets started as we get started here. And I got to be honest with you, today is a day that I am missing the rush. I am missing that rush. Man. I did the trade deadline for the NBA uh, on NBA TV on television for, I think I did it four times. Maybe it was for three years. I remember one of the deadlines was so crazy. We were on air for so long for the night before into the day that myself and I can't remember, Smitty and I think Stanvin might have been there that year, the, the late Seku Smith, my good friend. And others, we had actually had on the two sets that we had, we had uh, wings brought in. They were not, sorry, Lou Will from Magic City. But I think we had wings brought in. And I remember we had no time during the break. So we actually, for those who saw this, you might remember this. We started eating them on the air. Like we had them on the table because we were, it was just, it's such a crazy thing to work and such a fun rush and, and so great to do and to cover. And man, oh man, oh man, did I miss that today. Watching all this break down and, and go down, and if you missed it, check out episode 162. Go back one if you're not going in order um, to get a chance to hear my breakdown of the Kevin Durant deal for, to the Suns, the disaster that the Nets are now, and everything from around the Durant and Kyrie and Nets scenario specifically. But we weren't done. As we got close to the deadline, things continued and continued to develop. And deals continue to come in. Mo Bamba to the Lakers. Patrick Beverly out to the Magic. Then a buyout. Looks like he'll end up back in Minnesota. He had uh, tweeted out yesterday. We saw a couple of interesting tweets. And then what transpired within 24 hours, you had Josh Hart tweeting, congratulations to Jalen Brunson on getting his number retired at Villanova. And by the way, kudos to the whole Nick team to go into that. You didn't see that uh, go viral on that video, which is very, very cool. Great unity uh, shown towards their point guard and their leader. But... Josh Hart tweeting congratulations, then not realizing he'd end up playing with Jalen Brunson again. And then uh, Josh Hart following and uh, he tweeted out recently, just moments before I'm taping this this afternoon on uh, the ninth year, he tweeted out, 
where we headed to dinner to uh, Jalen Brunson's and Mikkel Bridges. Bridges now in Brooklyn. The only guy who's not going to be there, Arca Diakono, who ironically was a late add into that deal from the Knicks to then go get Hart from Portland. But we had Patrick Beverly tweeting out after he was traded, guess we get reunited. And, uh, you know, he thought, uh, or excuse me, after D'Angelo Russell was traded in, that he was going to get reunited with D'Lo. They played together in Minnesota. And that's not going to happen because now it is Beverly who has moved. And ironically, he will get reunited with the city of Minnesota and the uniforms he was wearing at the time, but not D'Angelo Russell, who will stay with the Lakers. Spurs sent Josh Richardson to the Pelicans for Devontae Graham and four second-round picks before five second-round picks get traded in the deal. That's where Gary Payton end up back in Golden State. I think I had checked. We at one point like 17 second-round picks get centered around, and I, I, and, and you know, people are going to forget in the second round of this upcoming draft who the hell's got picks. I mean, how many how many picks can we get in one round? But it's amazing how many second-round picks are getting tossed around in these deals. But again, Gary Payton Jr. for five of them is uh, the second, excuse me, uh, as he goes back to the Warriors where he was such a great fit there, clearly. Clearly. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things develop with the Suns as they get healthy, obviously, on the Durant front. Clearly, regardless of all the moves that were made beforehand, even Kyrie going to Dallas with the returning health of Luka, there's, there's no you know power move that was made that is to the level of what was happening with, with Phoenix. Because now when you've got that trio with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant and a healthy and an energized and a happy Kevin Durant, that thing going to be tough to slow down. And to me, they got to be the favorites. But everything with the Nets, disastrous. Again, I fully kind of recap that in episode 162. But if you want to go back to that, you can. Because remember, you got not only the big two that just went, but you can expand to the big three with James Harden in there. And in all three of those situations, a no bueno. No bueno. But now you're going to get a lot of opportunities if you're Mikael Bridges. not going to be happy to leave the Phoenix Suns or Chris Paul. But, oh, boy, get a lot of shot making he can do. And Cam Thomas is going to get to do the same because I don't know what the hell the Nets are going to do other than have a lot of options for draft picks. Doesn't make any sense. Don't want to be Seth Curry. Don't want to be Royce O'Neal. Don't want to be Mikael Bridges. Don't want to be a second-round pick because you're pretty much getting moved somewhere. Wow. Your thoughts deadline. Get me at Casey Stern. Hop wherever you are listening. Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. And get to me on Twitter or on YouTube. You can jump in the DMs. I love talking about uh, all the different sports that we chat about here on the show and on the podcast, including, of course, the association, which I am hitting here on this deadline right now. But you you got to, if you're sitting there and... If you're really looking at where you're at right now in this NBA, it's still as top-heavy as it ever was. The question is going to be, you know, what becomes of these teams that really seemingly have given up and punted, like the Nets. You know, it wasn't Steve Nash's fault alone, not Joe Sy's fault alone. It's not Sean Mark's fault alone. It wasn't even Kyrie's fault alone or Kevin Durant's alone or James Harden's alone. But everything in there, like swimwear, except not the kind you want with the Nets right now. As far as the Knicks are concerned, a lot of conversation as the day went on into whether or not they would do more. 
would they go ahead and get a deal done beyond the Josh Hart scenario, which clearly a lot of people were looking at? Zach Levine's name mentioned uh, several, several times as the day went. And as we sit here now, on the deadline just passing and waiting, and I'm sitting here live waiting for these faxes to come through because sometimes they can get in late. Sometimes something can happen to get in late. Doesn't look like Levine on the move after all. A lot of people falsely reporting that that was done. A lot of people talking about the conversations. There were conversations, but seemingly from everything you read from reports that matter, nothing really got far down the line in terms of what Chicago was asking for from the Knicks in that kind of a deal. But that would have been, I love Zach Levine, would have been a hell of a pickup for sure. Raptors don't end up being the sellers. In fact, they add, they add Jake, uh, Jakob uh, Pertle. On deadline day from the Spurs, they still got decisions to make, but we thought perhaps we'd get into a situation where we'd see Ananobi move. OG was not. He's not going anywhere. The Raptors do not move anybody else, whether it's Siakam or Van Fleet or any of the big names. In fact, they actually go ahead and add. I don't know what that's going to do for them this year or what it means moving forward. Not really sure. Not sure why the Bulls sat still when they could go ahead and at least try and improve themselves moving forward, because clearly now they're not good enough as constituted, and now it's been kind of a mishmash, and you know not the kind of show you want, but the in the it that comes after it a lot of this year. Not sure why these teams sit there and rest on their laurels. Like, I don't know. In today's day and age, maybe they just didn't have enough uh, second round draft picks. By the way, latest uh, after the deadline closes. The Suns all the way up to the uh, number two spot in terms of betting odds. They went from 1,800 plus 1,800 in uh, the sports book right now in Vegas to a plus 425 after the Durant trade. Only the Bucks have uh, the worst odds, or if you're looking at who's been considered a better team right now, it's uh, only Milwaukee. Knicks uh, do not end up moving Obi Toppin. He stays around. That's another guy in addition to Ananobi and some of these others that we thought could be on the move and does not get moved at this deadline. So you had some big players move clearly. I mean, look, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving at the forefront of that. The Lakers busy. We'll see after all the activity. I like the D'Lo move and bringing him back there. I think he's going to be certainly motivated to do so. And he's going to be motivated to be able to kind of, you know, find a way to to you know, mesh with LeBron and get things better. You know, look, I, I'm a defender of Russell Westbrook in a lot of ways, and I understand he's playing off the bench. But the fact that they are sitting there and having so much conversation, his issues with Darvin Ham, and discussing with the media about his bench role and how all that was going to be, um, that didn't look like it was necessarily a positive. And even though I love Pat Bev, I'm not sure if that was a positive either. They need to focus on trying to build around what they have and trying with you know, hopefully, knock on wood, you know, some semblance of a healthy AD, and you've got LeBron James, now D'Angelo Russell and D'Lo getting in there. I think the Lakers will at least be better, but there's still, what, four games under 500. This is not a very good team. You're trying to get into the playoffs and, and somehow surprise and do some damage. But when you've got now what you have in the improvement of Dallas, what you have in the improvement of Phoenix, in addition to the Memphis and the others that are in the high upper echelon of the Western Conference anyway already, could be tough sledding for me for the Lakers. Not sure that I, I see that necessarily. Celtics, Bucks, Suns. I mean, clearly, you know, it looked like three, four, maybe five teams out at the forefront, depending upon how you're looking at it, going into the playoffs uh, side of things as we head now down the stretch after the deadline. How do you feel about where the teams end up kind of pulling up now 
after all of these deals, after all of the movement, after all of how many guards at top levels, names not necessarily maybe now what they used to be, like the Mike Conleys, but Conley and, and Kyrie. And we mentioned you know, D'Angelo Russell, so many that were moved. And we'll see whether or not now that the impact is going to change in the standings, anything heading down the stretch outside of, I think, clearly at the forefront, the fact that the Phoenix Suns you know, now turn into one of the favorites to, you know, if not just get to the finals, to win it all. Your thoughts on the uh, deadline and as it officially passes, who you think were the winners and losers, and I say those in quotes of the deadline, get to me at Casey Stern and let me know where you feel on uh, the Twitter side of things or get into uh, the YouTube and comment as well. I, I want to do uh, drop out some predictions for this weekend, and let's start with uh, Saturday night. UFC 284, not going to go through the rest of the card. Um, I love Della Maddalena. I think Emmett is going to win the the what's really more of a number one contender spot than it is an interim title belt. I hate those interim titles, to be honest with you. I don't really understand what the, the necessity is to do that, why we can't just say it's a number one contender match and, and use that like it is like the WWE and just kind of, I don't care if you put it on the lower third on the screen, I don't get it, but I think Emmett's going to win that fight, I do. Um, and, and I could also make a case that Arnold Allen is the guy who really, I think, is the toughest test for Volk, even though he's a guy who now will see fight on April, I think it's the 15th, and uh, that matchup with Max Holloway, which is going to be a, a banger as well. But I'll give you kind of where I am on the main event here. And then we'll get to the main event of the weekend and the year in sports in the Super Bowl to follow. I, I love I love Volkanovsky. I, I, I could watch cooking with Volk for days. I could watch him fight for days. This dude's the pound for pound. He deserves to be there. His fight IQ is among the highest in the sport. He is, you know, multifaceted, even though clearly we know what a great striker he is and a precise and an accurate striker. You go back to that third fight against Max Holloway, and that was as much of an undressing of a Hall of Famer who's not past his prime. Max Holloway, not old, dude. This is not a situation like, you know, Dominic Cruz late in his career or when Chuck Liddell was way past his prime or an Anderson Silva. You want to tell me, hey, look, you know, he's not losing a biz bang 10 years before that, right? or you know, whatever scenario you want to give me where a guy's late into their stages of their career as a Hall of Famer, and they don't just got it anymore. I mean, look what Tony Ferguson looks like at this point. No offense. But you know, Max Holloway, Max Holloway nobody else made him look like that. And Volk made him look stupid on the feet and was just dissecting him and piecing him up in that third fight. He's a guy who's in tremendous shape. He's unbelievably strong for his size. But the problem is you still have to say for his size, even though he is upgrading in weight, even though he has taken the time, even though he knew from before he was the backup in the Oliveira fight that he was going to end up doing this and he has been preparing his body for this. You're preparing your body not just for a 155 pounder, but for a dude who with the, the strength in his wrestling and his ability to just grab a hold of you in that Khabib-like manner. Because that's what it looks like. You know, Jedi Padawan, however you want to you know, play it out there, in terms of, you know, with his mentor, when we're talking about Islam Makachev, this is a guy who is going to make, with his pressure, any 155-er look silly, like a Charles Oliveira, who, by the way, had won, what, 10, 11 fights or whatever it was in a row, including a number of defenses. Charles Oliveira, who had beaten the Chandlers and the Poiriers and the Gaethys, Charles Oliveira is a dude, and that dude got taken down the floor, and he got choked out. 
Do I think that Islam Makachev is going to be able to take down Volk? I do. The question is, how quickly can Volk get up? And if he gets up quickly in round one, how quickly is he going to get up in round two? How quickly is he going to get up in round three? How quickly is he going to get up in round four? How quickly is he going to get up if it goes to a round five? I think he'll get up quickly, and I think you'll see him be able to use the athleticism and that strength to not be held down early. But I think the problem for me is that I don't think that Volk, even though I think he can find success on the feet, I think as he finds success on the feet, it's only going to make Islam, if anything, more want to take him down. I think Islam will do what Khabib always did. And we saw Islam, look, he looked good on the feet and certainly looked like a better striker than Khabib in the matchup against Oliveira, right? But Islam, we know, going to take it to the ground. And he's going to hang out on the feet until he feels like he's getting hurt. And he getting pieced up. He's going to go take Volk to the ground. And that's the problem for me is that even if Volk has success, it's not that he doesn't have power, but I don't think Volkanovsky personally can knock out Islam. I don't. I think Volkanovsky has to win by decision. I think if Volk wins, it's because he avoids enough takedowns, he wins the activity on the feet, and he is able to avoid what probably is going to be a moment he'll face at some point in this fight, and I think he will, like he did in that Ortega fight where, I mean, if you remember that, it looked like he was going to go. I mean, the fact he didn't get choked out there is crazy. But I think going to face a moment like that at some place in this in this fight, in this five-round battle, where he on the ground with a dude in Islam, who he gets a hold of you, I mean, it's being like being held by a viper. Forget it. I don't know if he's going to be able to get out of that moment. But if he does, then he's got to be on the feet enough to be able to win those battles and, to me, win a decision. I think Islam's got too many places. He, I don't think he's going to knock Volk out, but I think Islam is a guy who can either make it nearly impossible for Volk to get up and end up, you know, you know, humping on the ground and being there long enough where eventually he gets Volk frustrated enough and he's wearing that weight of Islam enough where he gets a submission. Or he gets Volk to make a mistake and he gets one pretty quickly. I, I don't I just think there's more paths for Islam to win. I, I think it's not against look, the pound for pound, this is nothing against Alexander Volkanovsky. He's not gonna lose his belt. He's trying to get another one. And I think there are 155ers, even at his size and forget his height, that he would give trouble. I just unfortunately don't think Islam's the guy. I think Volkanovsky would have a better chance at beating Charles Oliveira. I think Volkanovsky would have a better chance of beating a Dustin Poirier. Now, I don't know if he would beat those guys either, but I don't think he's going to beat Islam Makachev. I'm taking Makachev to win it, and I think he's going to – I'm going to go by submission in round four. I think Volk will avoid a bunch of the submissions. I think he's going to show you all the prowess on the feet. I think, you know, he will get the better of the exchanges on the feet. I think you'll see that and warn in the face of Islam. He'll have to go through some adversity for the first time in his career – but I think eventually the more it, that goes in the fight and the more that weight is wearing on, on Volk and the more Islam is able to take him down and get back up and all of those, the, those that, that energy depletion that comes from that, I think eventually he's going to make a mistake and get submitted. I'll go for a rear naked choke in round four. Even around that neck of Volk, which probably not going to be easy to do. We'll see. And I'm rooting for Volkanovsky, but I'm just trying to give it to you real the way I see it. Speaking of not rooting for the way I see it, Let's go to the Super Bowl. The last thing somebody who's a diehard Giant fan like me wants to do is tell you the Eagles are going to do anything positive. Anything. I had, a, Especially in a year like this where I had to sit there and watch them beat the Giants to a pulp twice during the season and then do it in the playoffs and make 
you know, all those great feelings go away, even though it was a very nice season the Giants had. But I got the Eagles winning this game 27 to 23. I think it's going to be close, but I think Philadelphia is going to win it. And I don't think they're going to win it for the same reason a lot. Look, everybody will talk about what they can do with Devontae Smith and what they can do with all their dif different weapons and the running backs they have. And, of course, primarily with how J Jalen Hurts, especially healthy now, another couple of weeks of rest, right, with his legs, being able to free himself up to utilize all those weapons. And they seemingly are unstoppable on offense, and they're going to put up some points. But I don't think Jalen Hurts is going to be – now, he may win the MVP – because you're not going to give an MVP to a team defense unless maybe one of their guys, you know, if you know, maybe you know, gets two sacks and enforces a fumble or something like that. It's probably going to be an offensive player that's going to win the MVP. But the Eagles are going to win this game because of their defense and primarily and first and foremost prioritizing the Eagles will win the Super Bowl because of their pass rush. I've talked about this all season long. We've talked about this on this podcast. I talked about it in the playoffs when we talked about the Eagles in this podcast. I want to pick them to beat the 49ers. Now, certainly not knowing how many quarterbacks the Niners would have to go through in that game. But I said it, and I'll say it again. At the end of the day, the biggest thing about the Eagles this year has not really been talked about as the biggest thing. Unless we're focusing and highlighting on the defense, everyone's talking about Jalen Hurts, how healthy he is, how healthy he isn't, those two wideouts. And they're talking about the offense and the scheme and the system and Snyder, and they're talking about you know, Nick Sirianni and the coaching. And at the end of the day, this team is going to win the Super Bowl for the same way, going back to the Giants, that the Giant teams were the teams that could not Peyton Manning's teams, but Eli's beat Tom Brady twice. And it's not because Eli threw to David Tyree and then through to Plexico Burris. It's not because he threw to Mario Manningham. At the end of the day, those are huge parts of it. But they won those games because their defense could get to Tom Brady, because their defense could frustrate Tom Brady. Now, clearly, Patrick Mahomes, if he's healthy enough with that ankle, going to get out of the pocket, and certainly going to get out of the pocket even if he's not healthy, more than Tom Brady would, right? I don't know how much he's going to be able to use of that Mahomes nature that we're used to, right? Best player in the league, MVP of the league. But you can be able to do enough, I think. But the problem is the Eagles are so good and they're so fast. And they're, they have such an ability to close in on you at the quarterback position, even if you're out of the pocket, and to cut that space down. Look what they did. Look at the space Daniel Jones had in the game against Minnesota. I know how bad the defense is of Minnesota in the past defense, right? But Daniel Jones was running against a lot of teams. But I'm just giving an example of one week to the next. Look at the way he was running against Minnesota. And then look at how difficult it was to find space like that against Philadelphia. Philadelphia does a great job. First of all, their secondary does a really nice job in coverage where they are going to be able to at least slow down a bit, I believe, a bit, what Travis Kelsey is able to do over the middle of the field. And part of the reason is, is they're not going to give as much time for him to get open and certainly for the wideouts to get downfield because they do such a great job getting after the quarterback. Eagles pass rush to me the difference going Eagles 27 and Kansas City Chiefs 23. Curious your thoughts on how the Super Bowl will play out. Enjoy it. Hopefully you get to spend time uh, watching it with uh, your family. And, uh, you know, I, I'm blessed to have got to watch the Super Bowl this year with my kids. But I hope you're watching it with uh, more adults uh, as well uh, than I will be because I'll be the only adult there outside of my dog, who I think in human years is like 172. Uh, but uh, hopefully you got a good spread and enjoy the Super Bowl regardless. And good luck, obviously, to the Eagles fans and the Chiefs fans. Enjoy the UFC pay-per-view, which I cannot wait to see. I'm so pumped for that coming up on Saturday night. 
Congrats to all of the uh, fans of teams who were able to acquire and get better at the deadline. And uh, yeah, commiserating for you, because uh, I, I love Brooklyn. And my dad's from Brooklyn. And I, 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 yeah, I've got some Brooklyn Nets jerseys. i got a Deron Williams upstairs. But I'm commiserating with the Net fan, even though I'm a Nick guy, because that is a painful life right now. Uh, always, uh, not the pain, but the joy for us to close things out by saying unfiltered, as usual, is presented by our good friends at Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.